again for your goodness. And I just think of those words of the songs that we were singing, just so reassuring of who you are and who we are as your children, God. Help us to cling to those truths, God. And now as we look in your word and we talk about your church, God, I pray that uh, your spirit would lead and guide this time and convict us, encourage us, do what needs to be done in our hearts as we reflect on your truths. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. So we're when I ask you, that, what, when you hear the word church, if someone says the church or someone says church, what comes to your mind? I mean, what comes to your mind when you hear church? Maybe, maybe it's a building, okay? Maybe it's a place where you often go to meet with other people, uh, to worship God and to hear, learn more about God, or it's a place where there's programs and activities that help you to kind of fill your spiritual tank, Whatever it might be, no matter what comes to your mind when you think of church, I want us to think this morning and realize that the truth is that in really to order to be all, in order to be all that God wants us to be, in, in order to be fully devoted followers of Christ, like we like I know so many of us in this room, we want that. We want to be fully devoted. We want to know Jesus more. We want to be close to God. We want all that. We want to be hearing from God. And really, in order for that to happen, we need, we need to know, and we need to know how vitally important it is that we fully understand what it truly means to be a part of the church. We need to understand what that means. This morning, we're going to start a very short series on, we're going to be talking about the church. What is the church? What does that mean? What are the implications for us? And my hope is really in these next couple weeks that we will learn or maybe just be reminded of not only what the church is, but also the powerful implications that are there for us as being a part of it. What are the implications of really being a part of the church? So this morning, I want to ask the question, what does it mean to be part of the church? What question we kind of think, oh, oh, I know what that is. Do we really? Do we really know what it means to be part of the church? So, but, but before we answer that question, it's probably a good idea that we talk about what is the church? What is the church? And there's a number of terms um, or metaphors in the Bible uh, that the New Testament, the Bible refers to describe the church. There's a family, there's a household, there's a flock, a vineyard, a temple, a bride. These are just to name a few of them. But many, as many of you know, the Greek word that is most often used in the New Testament to refer to the church is what? Exactly, ekklesia. Ekklesia is the, is the is prime word that is used, which really the word ekklesia, what it really means is, it just means simply an assembly, okay? A gathering of people, like an assembly of people to discuss legal, legal matters. Yet, yet, in most contexts in the New Testament, it is, re- it is used to refer to people that make up the church, okay? Specifically, it's those whom the Lord has called out of this world and into union and in fellowship with Christ and communion with each other. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more, but that's what it means. Those who the Lord has called out of the world into union and fellowship with Christ and in communion with each other. 
I think Peter, we looked, at, we looked at this when we studied, but Peter puts it really well when, he's, when he says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Really what Peter's essentially saying here, and if you want, if you're going to fill in your note blank uh, papers here, the first one is, is the church is a gathering of people who are essentially a new race of people that have been set apart and called out of darkness of sin in order to make known the goodness of God. That's kind of a long sentence, but that is what the church is. It's a gathering of people, but not just any people, people that have been called out, specifically called out, and really, in a sense, made a new, a whole new race of, did you realize that we're a whole new race of people? If you're a follower of Jesus, you belong to a new race of people, and you've been set apart, called out of darkness. I think we forget that sometimes, don't we? What we've been called out of as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we are the church. And it's our position and our mission that make us the church. Not, not where we gather or how we gather or what things we do when we come together. That's the point is when we gather in Christ's name, we are the church. Okay? Because of our faith in the work of what Jesus Christ did for us, we make up the ecclesia, okay? And as the church, it's important to understand that we have been given a very specific purpose or what I'd like to call a very specific mission. Very, very specific. And Jesus gave us this. He gave us the details of our mission and what we all know is the Great Commission. I want to look at that real quick. Matthew 28 says this, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Obviously, this is after his resurrection. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So number two on your notes, though, the mission, the mission of those who make up the church is to make disciples. That is our mission. That is our purpose, to make disciples, to, to nurture, build up, and help fellow believers to mature in their relationship with Christ and to assist in helping others come to know him. This is our mission. This is the purpose that we have been given as members of this church, or of, of Christ's church. And this is every Christian's mission, okay? <laughs> every single follower of Jesus, this is our mission, and just a little side note, did you, notice real, did you notice that Matthew, when he records what the disciples did, they saw Jesus and they worshiped, and what does it say some did? Some doubted. 
I never really, I, I just always skipped over that. But some, and it doesn't say who doubted. We tend to think, oh, it was the loser disciples that doubted. You know, it was the ones that never really, oh, it was that Thomas guy or whatever. Those are the ones. That, it doesn't tell us who doubted. It could have been any of them. Peter. We know he wasn't a, a foreigner to that, that's for sure. But he says, so what this tells me is, this tells us that even in our doubt, God still calls each one of us and he still enables each one of us to fulfill the mission that he has given us. Isn't that reassuring? You can be scared to death. You can wonder, me? Make disciples? I'm not sure about that. Perfectly qualified. Isn't that great? That is really good news. Now, and here's, the, here's what's really important, though. We were never meant to fulfill this mission. We were never meant to fill our mission alone. Never. That was never the intention to go, okay, you go, you're on your own, come back in a year, let me know how you do. That's not what we are told to do. As the church, as followers of Jesus, we are literally a part of an organism that is designed to strengthen, to encourage, and to equip each one of us in order to fulfill our mission. We're a part of this special organism, and what it's called is the body of Christ. And there's a purpose for being, I think a lot of times we think about being a part of the body of Christ is, yay, I'm with a whole bunch of people, that's fun, that's great. But there's more to it than that. Being a part of the body of Christ is an amazing thing, that the, the strength that we get, the encouragement and the equipping that we're meant to get in order to be on mission is phenomenal, or should be phenomenal. Listen to what the, Paul, what the, how the Apostle Paul describes it. And there's a long chunk of verses here, but he really does a good job of describing, and many of you are very familiar, describing the whole body of Christ in 1 Corinthians. Let's listen to what he says. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into the body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all are made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, or you could use parts in that if you want, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm, an, I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, this is key, as he chose. If all were a single member, if all were Pastor Rob, if all were Billy Graham, I'm not putting myself with him, but if all were whatever, whoever, he said, that would, that, would, that would be terrible. That would be terrible, okay? He says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? Where would it be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I don't have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. 
and our, indisp- and, and our un- unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do, do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, but there were, there may, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. You see what's happening here? Because of our identification with Jesus, because of your identification with Christ, because, as these verses at the beginning said, because we have repented of our sins, because we have confessed our faith in the saving work of Christ and been baptized, we are part of the body of Christ. And here's the cool thing. We can know that we have an important role to play because every single part of the body of Christ is vital. Every single part. Just with our, think about our physical bodies. It's the same way, only when each part, and as I'm getting older, I'm starting to see this more and more and more, that when each part is functioning as it's intended, the body is most, health, most healthy and most efficient. You, ever, efficient. you ever have that happen when one little thing that you never really thought about isn't doing very well? And you didn't even think that even if something went wrong with that, there wouldn't be a big problem. But all of a sudden, chaos, a tooth. Uh, whatever, a foot, something, and we don't think about it, and we think, oh my gosh, that is important that that is functioning well. That's what he is, is saying here. Not only that, we see that there's no question of relative importance. No part of the body is meant to be seen as more important or less. And this is a whole other tangent that I would love to get on, and I might just a little bit here. But this whole idea of separating the clergy, of the professionals, with the laity or the lay people in the church. First of all, there was never, in the early church, there was no such thing as that as far as the paid. There was gift, people were gifted to do different things. But somehow we've got to this place where we ordain people, which, by the way, I don't know where that came from either. You know, you're ordained, so you have special ministry. I don't, there's, not that that's wrong. I just think that what that can do is that can create this, like, I'm not one of those. I'm just one of these. When the Bible never intended that whatsoever, this passage proves that. There's nowhere in the Bible where people should feel like, you know what, my gift isn't as upfront or doesn't seem as impactful as that one, so it can't be as important. This just proves that. He's saying, as a matter of fact, if you are that small, tiny little gift that you think is behind the scenes, you, there's greater honor to that, that supporting gift. That's such a great honor. But we live in such a society, don't we? We like putting people on a pedestal, right? And we like comparing ourselves with other people. I know I do. I compare. I don't have that. Or I can't do that like they do. So therefore, that means I'm back here. And what Paul's saying is, no, no, no. Stop looking at it that way. Start looking at it as being a part 
of the body is all being vital. I love what Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5 says, for as, one, as in one body we have many members or parts, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of it. So what this verse and those verses in 1 Corinthians infer is number three on your notes, that although we do not all have the same function within the body of Christ, we do belong to one another. And there is the assumption here of a reciprocal or mutual relationship with one another. One where there is an interdependence or necessary interrelationship with one another. Lots of big words there. But this is what it really comes down to, okay? This reciprocal or mutual relationship with one another. There is no standoff. There is no individuals in this where there is an interdependence. We need each other, okay? That's what this is saying. In other words, we desperately need one another in order to fulfill the mission God has given us as individuals and collective members of the church. And we cannot forget this. We desperately need one another. Number four, therefore, a strong implication of the church being a body is that in order to function as intended, there must be unity. There must be unity. Next week, we're going to look at some verses where Jesus talks about the importance and the power that comes when the church of Christ, when Jesus' body is unified and the message that that sends to the rest of the world. There's a sense of working together in order to fulfill the Great Commission. Like I said, just look like, like our physical bodies. They need to work together, and they, there must be a coordinated working together. You ever, I remember when I, was, um, when I was in youth ministry for all those decades, I remember one of the games that we would do with a large group of kids, and we'd do this at camps and things like that. You ever seen it where they get a long plank, a long two-by-four, and there's these little ropes in it, and you get like four to six kids they strap themselves into the boards, two boards, and, they have, and there's other people doing the same thing, and they have to race down to like 50 yards together like this. And you got all these people on the same board. I, that's a great picture of how the body needs to function. There needs to be this coordinated working together because you get people that want to do their own thing in that, it doesn't work. Ever seen a three-legged race where one person doesn't want to work very well with the other person? It just doesn't work. Or tug of war when a couple of people say, I'm out. The whole team just goes, whoa. There has to be this working, coordinated working together. That's where that unity is so important. I want to look at another chunk of passage here where the Apostle Paul in Ephesians talks about this whole unity thing here. And I'm really hoping this will continue to shape our minds as we think about the church. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, therefore, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I love this. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now notice, notice a few things here. For this to occur, for unity to really occur within the body of Christ, 
These first three verses tell us a few things must occur, okay? The first is that individual members, as individual members, we are expected to act and behave like children of our Father, We are expected to act like his children. This means that we trust in his promises and that we're willing to obey his will. Trust and obey. Remember that from the 80s? That's what we do as his kids, okay? Next, there must be this humility. There must be this gentleness. There's, There's no room for insisting on our own rights. No, I have to have it my way, okay? There's patience towards those whose faults and, there's, and their weaknesses directly impact us. Ooh, that's a hard one. Patience towards those kind of... There's also, there's, there's this eagerness or this, this willingness to invite, invest in the peace of God's spirit, which enables us to, ex- we're able to experience due to Christ's peacemaking work on the cross. So you see how there's this lot of work that needs to go in this. And I got to tell you, this all sounds well and good. You know, it all sounds great, but you must admit, these are pretty lofty expectations, aren't they? To think that, okay, no problem, I'll do that. These are pretty lofty expectations. How are we expected with such as a vast, just, I mean, just with people in this room, the 50 people or so in this room, how are we expected with the vast different personalities and upbringings and, and all those different things that happen, how are we expected to be uh, unified? How are we supposed to attain this level of unity that the Apostle Paul is saying, here's what you need to have? Here's what you need to have to function as the body in order to know that you're fulfilling your mission, then you're really feeling your purpose in life. How in the world do we do that with all of our sin and our yuck? How do we do that? Well, Paul goes on a few verses later. In verse 11, he says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul's saying, what Paul's saying here is that there are some people in the body that have been uniquely gifted for the purpose of equipping the rest of the members for what? For ministry, to do stuff. My job, one of my jobs, I know that I have been given, that's one of the things I am. I've been gifted as a shepherd, not to just feed you, to talk to you. My responsibility is to equip others. Okay? So what this is, but what this is saying is, what this is really telling us is that the implication here on number five of your notes is that every member of the body of Christ is a minister. 
You see what he cares? Because Paul says there's been some that have been equipped to help people to better be even better ministers than they are. So that implies every single Christian is a minister. Put that at the end of your name whenever you sign it, minister, because you are. That's what we all are. Everybody is. And some of you in this room have been gifted with gifts to help equip people in the body to even do better and to be in, to do their ministry. Now, you might not have the gift of, of pastor or shepherd or teacher or whatever. You might not have the title even of Sunday school teacher, whatever. But every one of us is equal in value in doing the work of Christian ministry in building up the body of Christ in order that would be unified. No one is exempt. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's something that, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, gives us the ability to do. You know, you're thinking, oh, I'm not very talented. I can't. That, good. Then you won't rest on that. You will totally rest on the fact that, oh, God, if you don't show up, I'm dead. <laughs> this is not going to work. I would encourage you, that's the best place you could possibly be so often. As a follower of Jesus, to be in a place where, wow, if the Spirit of God doesn't show up in here, failure. That's a great place to be, a wonderful place to be. It encourages us to grow. Here's the message here. Really, the message here, I probably should have put this on your nose, but I didn't, is we are each responsible for one another's maturity in Christ. We are all responsible for one another's maturity in Christ so that, we can be fo- so that we can be unified in order to fulfill the mission that God has given us. We are all responsible for that. You know, my hope is, hopefully, this changes kind of some of your view of being a part of church. Hopefully this changes a little bit of, about how you ver- view church. Because most of us, I think most of us in this room would agree that unity would be, is really important. We need to be unified. I think we would, we would agree with that. Yet the unity that Paul is talking about here isn't simply the superficial desire for togetherness or for coming together to coming to church for simply to learn more about God with people who, for the most part, we agree with and get along with. That's not what, that's not what he is saying at all. He's talking about selflessly ministering to one another in such a way that each person's contribution to the flourishing of the body of Christ will happen as people are deepening and, uh, and deepening in their walk and deepening in their love to fulfill their mission. We should be of a kind of people that when we're with each other, it causes us to want to go, that's what I'm supposed to do. Yes, thank you for, thank you for being that in my life. Thank you for encouraging me in that area. Thank you for for rebuking me in love for not doing that. That's what I need you for. That's what he is saying here, okay? But here's the problem, at least from what I've seen, and maybe some of you have seen this as well. We live in a very individualistic and very consumeristic society, don't we? We live in this which unfortunately impacts the way many, if not most of us, most people view being a part of the church. I really feel like for all of us, it seeps in, it seeks in, it sinks into us a little bit about, this is what my needs are. This is how I need to be cared for. This is what's important to me. 
which isn't necessarily bad, but what happens is that starts to influence everything we see and we see our, our, as being a part of the church. Instead of viewing the church as the body of Christ where he is the head and where we each have this vital role to play as we live in unity with one another, I think what happens oftentimes, we view church as a place where we simply go in order to receive. I want to go because I want to feel better. I want to go because I want to learn all these. And those things aren't wrong. I want to go to church because it, I, I enjoy the worship and it makes me feel good. I, I go because this is for me and I want to receive. You hear that all the time. People go, oh, we stopped going to that church because their music just doesn't, isn't the way we like it. Or we started going to that church because, man, their music is awesome or their preaching is the best. And I'm not saying anything wrong with amazing. I was at my, like I told you, I was at my son's church two weeks ago in, in Austin, Texas, thousands of people. And it was like, these guys are pros. <laughs> and I was like, and it was an amazing time of worship. So I'm not, I'm not bagging on that, but I think some people will say, I will only be a part of the church if there's certain things that fit my needs. And I get that to a point though, too. You've got kids, you want to be in a ministry and different things. I understand that to a point. But I think this consumeristic mentality comes into how we view the church. What am I going to get out of it? What's in this for me? And everything we've been looking at so far that Paul has been saying is, don't even think that way. Think this way, but believe it or not, you're going to get so much out of it. You would not even believe how much you're going to get out of it by intentionally being this. By intentionally living your life on mission with your fellow believers as the body of Christ. I think many Christians have convinced themselves I mean, I love this phrase, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, which is true. But I think oftentimes we've convinced ourselves because we have a personal relationship with God, it means that being involved in a community where this life-on-life encouragement and accountability is happening on a regular basis, we think that's optional. That's a great thing, but I'm too busy right now. You don't know what's going on in my life right now. And I think that's the consumeristic, that's that individualistic mindset that comes into our minds. When all that we've looked about, that, what that says that is when you're saying, I can be on, do this on my own, I don't, and once again, don't, please don't get people feel guilty. Oh, I'm not going to women's Bible story. I'm not going to men's Bible study. I'm a bad person. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is God desires us to be a part of a body somehow, some way, where we are helping one another mature in our relationship with Christ so that we can in turn be on mission to the rest of the world. It's not optional. It is not optional. This is simply not what the Bible tells us a Christian is to look like. John Wesley once said this. He said, Christianity is not a religion for solitude and solitary. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Nothing. Number six on your notes. The truth is that church is not a place we go, but instead, practically speaking, a kind of community we are. That's what church is. 
a community, as I said, that consisting of reciprocal, mutual relationships with one another, where there's this interdependence with one another in order that we would grow in maturity in Christ so that we would, in turn, have a greater impact on the world and a greater impact for Christ. That's what it's meant to be. You ever thought about the fact that, man, some people seem to be so much better at reaching their friends for Christ. I wish I had more of an impact on my neighbors or on my non-Christian family or friends. This might sound counterintuitive, but really the best way for you to have an impact on the world and to be on mission, helping other people to grow in their walk with Christ and to help other people come to know Christ, get involved in deep community. So often we think, okay, it means I got to separate myself from community to make more time to go be with those people. When that's not what all these verses have been, all these verses we looked at are telling us the exact opposite. It comes as we function as a body, as there's this mutual loving and serving and caring for one another. That's when it happens. That's how it's meant to be. So what does this look like practically? What does that kind of community look like practically? A, pra- a community where there's unity, which in turn flows, flows from it a shared mission to make and mature disciples of Christ. Well, I got, I, I, there's one thing that I, I went through a while ago with some people, and it really helped me to uh, understand this even better. One of the best ways to do this is really to simply look at all, there's like over 40 one another statements in the New Testament. Okay, one another statements in the two te- New Testament, number seven on your notes. These one another statements are things we are meant to do to one another out of an overflow of our relationship with Jesus, where among the most, where, which were among the most important aspects of the early church. Okay, these are things that we do to others out of our overflow of our relationship with Jesus. And these are things really that were the mo- one of the most important aspects of the early church. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put a list of just some of them up on the board. But see if you, see, see if you believe that any of these can be fulfilled outside of relationships in which people are committed to mutually ministering to one another and where they are really sensing that I am responsible for another person's maturity in Christ. Okay, you ready? Okay, go ahead and put that up there. Look at some of these. To love is all one another, okay? Love one another, to serve one another, strengthen, accept, encourage, care for, forgive, submit to, commit to, be devoted, be patient, be be patient with, be accountable to, confess to, live in harmony with, instruct, admonish, spur on towards love and good deeds, be humble toward, compassionate towards, concerned for, be kind, live at peace with, carry one another's burdens. How in the world can we possibly fulfill the one another's if we are not having that mindset of, I am an important part of this body? I am, believe it or not, partially responsible for the spiritual maturity of my brothers and sisters. How can we not? We have so gotten away from this in the church for the last longest time, gotten so far away 
from the fact that we are a community and we need to be doing life together, not just for social reasons, which is fine too, but all the reasons that would draw us together, that would help each other mature, speak into one another, all do all these one another's. Are we in relationships that we, do, that we can do this? I love what Andy Stanley says about this statement, these statements. He says this, the primary act of the early church was one anothering one another. That's so great, you know? And this is something we're going to, next week, we're going to be looking at even more practical ways of how we can one another. We're going to look to next week, we're going to be talking about community. What is community? What are some ways that community can flesh itself out? And then in, the, after, in a couple weeks, we're going to start a series in the book of Acts, which will back all that up. And we'll be jumping right into talking about what the early church looked like. How did, it be, how did it really begin? So let me ask you, how are we doing as a local church body at one anothering one another? How are we doing? How are you doing? How am I doing at one anothering one another in such a way that we're causing each other to grow in our love for God and our love for each other. How are we doing with that? Are we one anothering one another in such a way that shows that we are taking responsibility for one another's spiritual maturity by cultivating the spirit of unity within the body of Christ so that we can in turn go out and fulfill our mission to make disciples? Because that's what we're called to do as individuals, as a church. We're called to go make disciples. I don't know about you, making disciples is hard. <laughs> it's, it's hard. That's why we're meant to do it together. We're meant to do it within the body of Christ, using the gifts we had, the encouragement we have with one another, and therefore, in turn, to be better at doing that. How are we doing? I have a feeling we could be doing a better job. I know I could. As a church, I have a feeling we could be doing a better job. So if that's the case, what then might be necessary in order to allow or facilitate this to happen? What might, what might be necessary? How might be God calling us as a church to learn to be better at one anothering one another? How might he be calling you how might be calling me to be better, be better at one anothering one another? Like I said, we'll talk about that next week because here's the bottom line. The bottom line is being a part of the church means being a part of the body of Christ, unified and on, and on mission, which is flowing out of our experience of true community, which we're going to talk about some more next week. So let me ask you a few questions. Here we go. Why is unity within the body of Christ such an essential element to intentionally living on mission? Kind of we've been talking about this, but I'd like to hear what you guys say. What do you think? Why is unity within the body of Christ such an essential element to intentionally living on mission? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, Flana. Yes, exactly. Yes. Paul. 
And it honors the Lord for sure, yeah. Anything else we can think of? Yeah. Totally, yeah, exactly. House divided against itself. Exactly. I like to think of it as kind of a stream. You know, when you jump into it, we've even used that term. I've jumped into a flowing stream. It kind of, I jumped into this and it was already moving. Can you imagine if you're a part of something and as soon as you step into it, it's moving in a certain direction already and we're all on board with one another. We all have the same mission. We all have the same, this is what we're about. I think in theory, we would all say we're doing that in theory, but how are we practically making that happen? Making sure that everybody that we know that is a part of our body that we're connected to at least feels like they're a sense of the part of what we're doing. They're in the flow of what we're doing. Second question, what are some things that tend to hinder that unity? What are some things that tend to hinder this type of unity that Paul's been talking about in all these verses? Yeah. Doubt? Yeah, what do you mean by that? Like doubting, like doubting what, maybe? Yeah, good. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. What else? What are, what are some other things? Yes. Ego. Yeah, egos, for sure. Yeah. Yep. What else tend to hinder? Schedules. Yeah, simply as, as schedules. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because we are so busy, we have to be intentional, being intentional. Yeah. Anything else? Unkind word. An unco- oh, yeah, an unkind word. Yes, for sure. Yes. And that can just go deep. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. Us and them kind of stuff. Yeah, so good. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to be talking about that next week as well as, okay, unity, but whoa, what does that mean when you got all this different stuff? How does that work? What, yeah. I've not been trained. Yeah. I've been, no one's helped me understand what, it, what does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. Last one. How might we, pra- and this doesn't have to be long because we can go on this for a long time. How might we practically move towards doing better at one anothering one another? How might we practically move towards doing better at one anothering one another? Live scripture. Live scripture. Okay. Specifically anything? Love one another. Love one another. There you go. Yes. Yeah, it starts just by, (laughs) just being in one another's lives, yeah, yeah, so good. Anything else? Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. Yeah, great point, Nelson. Yeah. Yeah, being willing to accept correction, humility, yeah, all that in there, yes. So much that goes that. Well, we're going to talk about a bunch of that <clears throat> next week as we dive into more and look at what the Bible has to say about living in community and how that works out in some practical ways and how that might look even uh, for us. So we're going to move into a time of communion now, and <clears throat> I'd really just encourage you that this is a, once again, communion is a great time to reflect, remember uh, what God is doing, Ben, you guys can come on up um, now um, to just reflect on what God is doing and how you see God working in your life. You know, where, what, what, is God, what is God doing in your life? Where is he working? Where do you sense that he's doing some things in your life? And how are you responding uh, to that? Or maybe it's a time for you to just confess that, God, I've just been ignoring you or I've just been going my own route, my own way. This is a great time as a follower of Jesus, to just come to him and just let him love you right where you're at. Accept how he sees you. If you've committed your life to Christ, if you've committed yourself to him, then he loves you. He sees you. When God sees you, he sees Jesus, righteous. That's amazing. That is amazing. So maybe this time is just a time of praise and thanksgiving uh, for you to just do that, even in the midst of all that might be going on in your life. So as the, the band will play, come, you can come on up, uh, go ahead and, and, and grab the, the juice and the cup, take it back to your, or the cup and the cracker and take it back to your seat. Just spend some time with the Lord. There should be some people that'll be up here um, praying. I'm not sure who our prayer people will be up here, but there should be someone up here that'll be praying. If you would like to be prayed for, please come up and uh, speak with them. Just take this time. Come on up um, whenever you're uh, ready for that, okay? Okay.